Oh my gosh, we're back again. Wait, hold on. Uh, that, for some reason, that just sounds like a boy band song lyric. I did not intend for that. And I'm dating myself really quickly. So anyhow, good morning. Great worship this morning, right? Oh my gosh. Hey, we're back with our Mediterranean or Passport to the Mediterranean series. We're taking time each week to explore these awesome regions of the Mediterranean. And I tell you, for one, personally, I have loved seeing all of the different places that we've been. You know, uh, you know we've had this itinerary uh, where we've been heading to different places like Rome and Corinth, and today we've got a special stop in Galatia. See, giant word right there, Galatia. Yeah, this is great. But we've been going through each week and kind of taking a look at these different cities, these different countries, these different regions. And today I'm really excited for us to be able to dig into the region or area of Galatia. But that first week with Rome, I mean, these are the things that I loved flipping through my art history books and seeing a lot of the amazing architecture. I mean, these buildings still standing today are just an incredible work of art. But I think probably the most amazing thing out of Rome is this intersection of faith and commerce. You know, they had this incredible roadway system that was developed to be able to be used for expanding the power and influence of the Roman Empire. Uh, but look at God using the same roadways to expand his kingdom here on earth. That's where we get this idea of the Roman roads to salvation. So I think that's really awesome, you know, thinking about that from week one. And week two, you know, last week we spent some time in Corinth. And I'll tell you, you could probably flash some of these pictures up and not really be able to tell a difference of where you are because, granted, we're in the Mediterranean. A lot of this stuff is going to look incredibly similar. And you're probably going to hear some things that sound similar from week to week because, you know, we're talking about first century AD, but Corinth was just this incredible place. I think that uh, the, the cruise ship going down through that Corinthian canal was super impressive to see, just kind of like squeezing right in there. That was really cool to see, but I think probably the, the, for me at least, the incredible part was hearing the foundational truth that came out of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth when, you know, we're pursuing the wisdom of man. And so understanding the, the greater truth and the greater wisdom that's there, influencing and being such a, a core to our faith today. Well, today, as we look at docking in and dropping our anchor in Galatia, we're going to take a look at this vibrant community that Paul had the opportunity to write a letter to. You know, you think of Galatia, again, just because it was huge words, this is not necessarily a specific country at the time, but it is an entire region. We would know it as Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, and there's just a lot of incredible things. If I think about modern-day Turkey, they've got these beautiful marketplaces called bazaars, which is kind of a funny name, I think, for a marketplace, but you look and it's just filled with different vendors and all of these incredible different products that you can see. You know, you would see all these colors because it's so uh, central in its trade routes. You know, it's nestled in this region for a very specific purpose, and you see a lot of people trading awesome goods and bringing in uh, 
beautiful garments and even just the colors of the spices that you would see at places like a bazaar. You know, they're so aromatic and just piled incredibly high. It does, doesn't that look beautiful? I mean, it puts my spice drawer to shame <laughs> just seeing all of that. But it, I, I personally think some of the bazaars are incredible. And because of its centrality in all the trade routes, meant that it was an incredibly diverse culture. You had people from some of the surrounding areas taking up residence in the region of Galatia. And I think that's one of the, the beautiful things that Paul gets to address in his letter to the church in Galatia. But I got to tell you, it was not always smooth sailing for the church of Galatia. The, the Galatians, uh, the, the church was made up of basically Jews and Gentile believers, and they found themselves in some very confusing situations. Again, because of the, the central nature of all of our, our, our church here in Galatia, there are people bringing additional thoughts and layering it on top of or adding it to the gospel, distorting the good news that was preached when they were established. We have these false teachers coming in known as Judaizers, and they taught that salvation was only found through faith and strict adherence to Jewish customs and laws. And it's out of this confusion that I think a lot of the early church had experienced that Paul is writing this passionate letter to the church in Galatia. And so we sit here today, 2,000 plus years later, and go, what does this letter have to do with life in 2023. You see, I feel that the region of Galatia is not too dissimilar from Northwest Columbus. You know, every weekend, I think one of the coolest things that our family gets to do is try to go to the farmer's markets. You know, we've got one in Dublin in Bridge Park and you know, we've fallen in love with all of the different vendors that are there. You could see all of the different tents that line up along the street and the crowds that flock there just to be able to see all of these amazing things that they could purchase to adorn their homes with or amazing food to purchase. Uh, spoiler, I really like to go just be able to sample some of the food that they've got there. That should not be a surprise. But even thinking about the bazaars in Turkey and where we probably see a lot of those outside of the farmer's markets, my mind immediately goes to the North Market. And I'm thankful that we've got a handful of those throughout our city, but they're not too dissimilar in the way that they look. They've got all of these vendors in brightly colored areas selling different things, and it's just an incredible experience to be a part of. And I also know, just based on the centrality of Columbus, Ohio, I mean, being the heart of the United States, you know, just thinking about all of the people that immigrate here or refugees that take up refuge here. I can personally look down and up my street and know that I have neighbors from other places and it is incredible. And then we think about all of the innovation and things that Columbus is known for. I don't know if you realize this or not, but Columbus is considered a smart city. Did you know that? Yeah, all right, I'm seeing a lot of head nodding. I'm also seeing some people falling asleep. It's okay, take a couple sips of coffee, but a smart city. We've got this label as a smart city because we help innovate so many different things. Uh, because of the centrality of a lot of trade, you know, we see folks taking up residence here and bringing in their headquarters. 
so that they can ship and they, they can do all of these things better when it comes to logistics and getting products throughout the nation and throughout the world a lot better. You know, but I think the, the challenge that we see in our culture, not too dissimilar from Galatia, is that you don't get the label of being a smart city without having some kind of performance-driven orientation, you know? You don't get that unless you have a mindset to continually seek improvement. A lot of the things that I think we wrestle with is this idea of more, faster, better. Tell me, when you're sitting in the drive-through, how frustrated do you get when it takes more than two minutes to get up to the call box to place your order? You know? Oh yeah, that's right. It, it's frustrating because we want to see things faster. I think we experience a lot of this pressure from our culture to pursue good works and merit because this is where we derive a lot of our value. We want more, faster, and better. You know, we look to our left and we look to our right. You know, the idea of keeping up with the Joneses. We grade our lawn based on how the rest of the lawns on the street look. We grade the quality of our marriage by the number of dates we go on. We grade our children based on the quality of their behavior or their performance. We grade our performance in the workplace based on how many projects we can accomplish, how many things that we can do in a certain amount of time. Or, you know, even on the other side, we work ourselves to death because we feel like that's what we are supposed to do and that's where we find value in our doing. And so in the same way, the church in Galatia wrestled with this very same thing when it came to their spiritual development. And spoiler alert, the church is not immune to this merit-based mindset or this performance-driven culture. It infiltrates our churches and our spiritual lives and we find ourselves thinking, that we have to do more, that we have to pray more, that we have to give more in order to earn our salvation or to keep our salvation or to attain God's love and favor on our lives. And this mindset that Paul addresses to the church in Galatia, this mindset that we find ourselves in today, distorts the good news of Jesus Christ you know, we start thinking about all of these things in our desire to draw near to God, and yet in this vain spiritual pursuit of trying to draw near to God, we actually find ourselves more distant because we feel terrible that we can't tick all of the boxes on our church checklist. And it leaves us feeling empty and drained and depressed. None of you guys feel this way, right? No? Ironically, the good news is this, and we learn this from the book of Galatians, and so hopefully today as we dig into this, we need to understand that our relationship with God is not about earning or deserving. It's about receiving. It's not about earning or deserving. It's about receiving. And so it's not about our performance, but it's all about God's grace. It's not about ticking the boxes, but it's about trusting God more. And so today, 
as we take anchor, we, I want to encourage you to dust off your sandals. We're going to head into Galatia. So if you've got your Bibles or your phone or your passport, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Galatians as we get ready to dive in and explore what Paul has for the church in Galatia. And I, I want us to be able to address this tension as we look at this. But remember, this region of Galatia was an incredible melting pot. Cultures from all over the area flocked here in first century AD thanks to the central trade routes that were there. And this multicultural environment influenced the Galatian churches. And just like our performance-driven culture, these cultures influence us more than we might realize. And so Paul, after establishing these churches, false teachers known as Judaizers kind of come in here and start distorting the gospel, adding things on top of what was already being taught. And so this letter is not your typical, hey, wish you were here kind of postcard. This is more of an impassioned plea to the church in Galatians. And Galatians 1 really helps set the scene for the entire letter and for our time today. And in, in defense of the good news, Paul establishes his credentials as an apostle, not appointed by man or some other governing body, but appointed by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Christ from the dead. To help the Galatians understand this, he's helping establish his credentials as he's sharing with them, in contrast to the teachings of the Judaizers in the area. You know, Paul's heart is broken for the church in the region for so quickly turning away from the good news that they heard, away from the gospel that they had received and towards a different gospel, which is really not a gospel at all. And so I want to look at Galatians 1, starting in verse 6. Paul writes, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. So he's reminding us that these teachers, these false teachers, are deliberately twisting what they have heard. And we continue to see what he writes in verse 11, saying, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it as a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. One true gospel centered on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Any message or teaching that adds to this or veers away is not the good news. It's not the gospel at all. Claiming that we need to have faith in Christ and all of these other things in order to be saved is a distortion. And I believe this is critical for us today because this distortion of the gospel that comes from the Judaizers who came and twisted this idea of God's grace into something so rigid and legalistic is what shook this young church to its foundation. And instead, one of the anchoring truths that we need to find ourselves is in we are saved by grace alone. 
We are saved by grace alone. Remember last week, the church in Corinth received this letter from Paul talking about how we are new creations. Anyone who belongs in Christ is a new person. The old life is gone. The new has begun. And so he's reminding us today in Galatians 2 that very same thing. He goes on in Galatians 2, starting in verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if you have your Bibles open, I want to encourage you, highlight that, underline that. And what follows is probably the most critical piece for today. Paul continues by saying, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Galatians 2, verse 21. Don't miss this, because this is central to our faith. Jesus Christ died for you and me. Jesus Christ, the same Jesus who loved us, who gave himself for us, he is the only reason why we are saved. We are saved by grace alone. It's the singular statement that Paul makes that he takes aim at this false gospel that the Judaizers have been teaching, which is really undermining the core of the good news, this doctrine that we're saved by grace and all of these other things. This proposed gospel of works, which I think like finger quotes for that is probably appropriate, but this path of salvation that's dependent on our adherence to a set of customs and laws could not be further from the truth. And so this word, grace, some of us in this room may have a, a very clear understanding of what grace is, and some of us might be sitting here today and not really have an idea of this. You know, I have to remember sometimes, like when I'm dealing with my kids, and they're not listening, and we are encouraging them to do something different, and they still aren't listening, but we want to show them grace. So we try to explain it to them, like they're 9, 7, and 5, because that's how old they are. But this idea of grace is this, and it's simply an unmerited gift from God. That means this, that there's nothing that you or I could do to ever earn that grace. Nothing. Nothing that we could do. Our best deeds, no matter how good, no matter how virtuous, we could never earn this gift of grace, because we're always going to fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, I'll tell you, it's easy for us when we set the standard to look like we're doing pretty good. You know, we can look to our left and we can look to our right and go, well, I have to be pretty saved, like Bob over here. He's not even doing the stuff, but I am, you know? It's easy for us to look like we're justified in our actions when we've set the standard. But the reality is, God's standard is what is set over all these things. You got to understand that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all have the same footing, but we all have the same foundation. And we cannot work our way to salvation. It's not this transaction 
you know, God's not a spiritual ATM. I sign my name on the back of this check and I put it in and I'm, I'm going to withdraw the grace and the salvation that I deserve from there. No, this is a, a divine act of mercy. Excuse me. And the law reveals our sin, but it doesn't save us from that. Only through Jesus Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection and only by his grace can this immeasurable chasm between God and ourselves be bridged. Our salvation rests solely on God's grace, not our ability to follow a litigious set of rules or customs. So we are saved by grace alone. The second anchoring truth is this. We grow by grace alone. We grow by grace alone. Just like we cannot earn our salvation, we cannot achieve spiritual growth by our own efforts. Some of us need to hear that. We cannot achieve spiritual growth by our own efforts. We can't perfect ourselves by trying and, and doing more and trying to do better and trying to do faster. This whole idea of striving and failing and striving, again, is like this treadmill of futility. I don't know about you, running on a treadmill is boring. Walking on the Stairmaster, boring. Only thing you can do is watch Food Network, which just reminds you of why you have to be on those things. <laughs> but like, I, I personally, if I have the option to go and run outside, I would much rather do that because I'm going somewhere. It's not just running in place. And so this idea of striving and failing and striving again is this treadmill of futility. You know, Paul continues by writing in Galatians 3, looking at these first few verses, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Yeah, doesn't work very well. Jesus' death was so clear, it's like you, you saw it from a photo, from a picture. And yet, the only reason why you're saved is because you believed. So why do you think you're going to be able to perfect yourself or achieve spiritual perfection by your own efforts? Instead of just spinning our wheels or running on that treadmill or on the spiritual stepmaster toward perfecting ourselves, Paul tries to redirect us in a greater understanding of where spiritual growth actually comes from. And it's this transformative truth that spiritual growth is not about self-improvement. It's about becoming more like Christ. 
And that's not possible through our own human efforts, but it's only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives by God's grace. And that same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead resides in you and me. And the last time I checked, there's nothing that we could personally do to pull ourselves out of that grave and walk our way into heaven. There is nothing that we could have done out of our own human will and volition. The Holy Spirit, who we received through faith, not by obeying some set of rules, is the divine agent of our spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit is the one who gradually transforms us, transforms us from the inside out, molding us more and more into the image of Christ. We don't grow spiritually by praying harder, more fervently, or petitioning God time and time again, or by serving until we are completely depleted and burnt out. We don't grow spiritually by those things. We grow by surrendering more and more to the will of God, leaning into His grace and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to underscore this. This is not a passive process. You know, I think culture and society tries to give us a 12-step blueprint of how we can get to the end goal a whole lot faster. And what you realize is you paid $7 for an ebook, and all you got was just a whole bunch of bits that you can't implement. We have to actively engage in a relationship with Jesus Christ by spending time with Him daily and in prayer, cultivating this life of faith and allowing the voice of the Holy Spirit to be louder than any voice that we might hear Monday to Sunday from the world. And it's crucial for us to remember this, that our spiritual growth isn't about achieving perfection by human means. It's about becoming who God has called us to be through His grace, through His strength, through His Spirit. So we grow by grace alone. Our third anchoring truth is this. We are free through grace. So we are saved by grace alone. We grow through grace alone. And we are free through grace Grace is not just this thing that, that saves us or is this catalyst for our spiritual development and growth. It shapes the way we live our lives each and every day. Some of you here need to soak in this liberating truth from Galatians 5. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Just take a moment and think about that. Yeah, I think the beautiful thing about Paul's letters to the early church is that he had a very deep understanding of these things that he's writing out of his own experience 
to the church in Galatia or to the church in Corinth or, or wherever. We're talking about Paul, the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, who found a lot of value in bagging and tagging and taking down Christians, disciples. The same Pharisee of Pharisees who upheld the letter of the law to a T. So he understood all of these things, but these things were not ultimately what set him free. What freedom Paul found came from a transformative encounter with Jesus Christ. So he goes on to say, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants and the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what our sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You see, this encounter with Christ is what breaks the chains of legalism, the things that we find ourselves bound by. You know, this side of heaven, as we struggle and wrestle with doing more, better, and faster, those chains have been broken. Those aren't the things that hold you down anymore. You are free from those things. And yet, we have a tendency to fall back into our sinful behavior. I want to let you know that our freedom is not a license to indulge in our sinful nature, but rather an invitation to live a life that's guided by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to hear this. Today, if there's anything else that you hear, this message is not about being spiritually lethargic. It is not a free pass to do nothing. If you hear anything else, I'm sorry. This is, this, it, just to encapsulate this whole thing is that the gospel plus anything is not the gospel at all. We bring nothing to our own salvation. Nothing. But we gain everything. When we believe this lie that it's dependent on our doing, we discount the work that's been done on the cross. When we feel like we have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be saved, we're taking that sacrifice that Jesus made and putting it on the clearance rack. Think about that. And it's when we do this, we're creating cheap grace. We think it's dependent on our doing. And this is a shallow misunderstanding of the gospel in its entirety. And this is what the Galatians were wrestling with. And this is what I believe some of us are wrestling with today. Is this idea of cheap grace. Paul reminds the church in Galatia and he reminds us the high cost of grace. This cost of grace only comes from Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, his sacrifice that he made on the cross. 
He paid our debt. We did not. He did. And God wants every person to understand that. God wants every person to be able to walk in this, the full potential that he has for each of us through his grace and through his spirit. And when we can understand these truths and step out into that, we can experience an unrivaled freedom that the world cannot offer. So what does this mean for us today? It means that if you're here today, as Roger was talking about earlier, and you are feeling burdened, weighed down, feeling guilt and shame about the quality or performance of your marriage, or how great of an employee you might or might not be, or how well you think you might be loving your kids, or all of these other things. We can let go of that. But more importantly, we can let go of the weight and the burden that we might feel when we think that we have to earn God's grace, that we have to earn His love in order to be saved. It's not about checking off the spiritual to-do list. It's not about doing more for God in a vain spiritual pursuit. What it is about is about being on this journey of faith together in a relationship with a God who loves each of you, each of us, dearly. Leaning into His grace and His leading and our freedom that comes out of this place and out of this understanding is amazing. So with all the noise and the things that we experience in our lives and in our society, you know, when we think about the voices that tell us that we have to do more, faster, better, that we aren't enough, that you will never measure up, whatever it might be, I'm going to encourage you with this one thing today. Breathe and receive. You know, you're yelling at your kids on the way into church today. Even as you're like steps away from the check-in upstairs and you tell them to get you better behave. Just breathe. Give yourself a little grace in that moment. You're replaying past failures of your life. Career setbacks, another failed relationship, wrong choices that you made, stumbling back into addictive behavior, speaking unkind words to somebody that you love dearly. Breathe. Whatever it might be today, I want to encourage you to Take a deep breath and just exhale the weight of what that is laying on you and receive the good news that is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. He delights in you. 
that we have to come back to this truth every single time. We feel the need that we have to do something out of our own will, out of our own power and our own strength because it helps us to refocus ourselves. It places the focus back onto Jesus, less about our doing and more of who God says we are through Jesus Christ. Fill yourself with this truth today. Soak in the fact that God has accepted you. You are already loved. You're saved by grace. If you are here and you believe in Jesus Christ, soak that in today. There is an incredible amount of freedom that comes in this. And this freedom that we have is not just a historical fact. Like if we're looking at the book of Galatians, this is something that is live and active each and every day. It means that as we live a life walking by the Holy Spirit's leading. We are no longer bound to the legalism of things that we feel like we have to do in order to earn God's grace. God extends that freely. This is a gift that we can never earn and a gift that we can never pay back. And it's empowering us to be able to move from this place, to be able to do good works. I think of the words of Jesus, these are, are words that in seasons of my life when I found myself extremely anxious and thinking about things, these are words that bring me comfort. So I hope this shares some of the comfort with you. Jesus speaks in Matthew 6, starting in verse 26, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus speaks these words to us. How much more valuable are you than the birds of the, the sky? He loves and cares for you deeply. He would not have made that sacrifice on the cross had he not. And when we embrace the freedom that comes from knowing that our value in God's eyes is not derived from our own human standards, we can live out of the joy of being fearfully and wonderfully made, confident in the love that he has lavished on us. Our worth is not dependent on our performance or achievements. It's grounded in the immeasurable grace of God, our creator. We're not made worthy by the things that we've done for God. Instead, we're made worthy by what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. So allow this truth to sink in and to, to help Shift your motivation from this merit-based mindset that I have to do more, be more, perform better for God in order to retain my salvation or to earn my salvation. So in light of this, two things that I think of that, I, that can help us in this pursuit the first is this, embrace surrender. And I kind of feel weird giving like a practical application 
in the, the idea of you don't have to, I'm not asking you to do more. I'll put it like that. I'm, not, I'm trying to not ask you to do more because it's not based on your performance. Instead, embrace the surrender. Take time each and every day and surrender to God's will. I mean, you could pray just a simple prayer such as, Lord, I surrender my day and everything that it entails to you. Help me to walk in your grace, grow in your love, and to live in the freedom that you have won for me. By embracing surrender, it allows us to move from what we do to what Christ has already done, and we can live out of that. And the other is this, cultivate a spirit-led lifestyle. I think often the other voices that we have in our lives or that we carry around in our pockets speak louder than the Holy Spirit, and that's unfortunate. So we have to take time and create space to quiet all of those other voices and allow the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide our lives. When we're able to drown out all the other noise, you can actually hear the Spirit prompting you to do something. You know, you might think, well, what does that look like? You know, you think about in Galatians, you know, what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And if you feel in a situation where you need to exercise more patience, I know nobody likes to pray for patience, but like when you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to be more patient, you can allow yourself to be led by the Spirit, to be patient. When the Holy Spirit says you need to be kind, listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. The Holy Spirit might be telling you, you need to be more kind to yourself. Quit beating yourself up for your failure, your performance. Know that God loves you regardless. And he wants to see good things for you. So remember, it's not about proving ourselves to God. It's about growing in God. It's not about being bound by a set of rules or customs. It's about living freely in the love and the grace of God. You know, as we think about as a faith community, as a church, a body of believers, as a family, how do we begin to really grasp this wonderful gift of grace? You know, what happens when we don't just talk about it, but we actively live it out day in, day out in our shared life together? What does that begin to look like? You know, imagine the freedom that grace does afford us. You know, we don't have to feel obligated to do certain things in order to receive God's grace. We're not praying, serving, giving because that's going to help us to be saved. We're giving out of the overflow of what God has already done. We realize that he's the ultimate giver of every good and great gift, awesome gifts in our lives, and we get to give out of that. We get to serve out of that. You know, when we realize that Jesus helped to embody this for us, we get to do the same. We get to serve out of a place of joy rather than obligation. We get to help other people experience life to the fullest in Christ. Not because this is something that we have to do, 
It's something that we get to do. God encourages us to come along in this journey together to be able to do just that. We get to love without fear or reservation. You know, when you step into a situation that the Holy Spirit has prompted you to talk to somebody, it starts to take the pressure off of your own performance of whether or not that person will accept or reject what you're saying to them. Because God has led you to that moment. He's given you everything that you need to say and to do. And you can know with confidence that you've done exactly that. It's less about your performance and more about the things that God has called you to do through His grace and through His Spirit. You know, imagine being able to foster an environment that encourages spiritual growth through faith in Christ. It transforms our gatherings. I know we don't do this, but there are some churches that do where they just gather and it's, they're just reading Scripture and that's it. Instead, it gets to be a celebration of what God has done in the world and in our lives and continues to do in the lives of people. Yet we think about Father's Day and child dedication. We get to celebrate with people as they're taking steps of faith, like the Donovans with Graham. It's not an obligation for us to be able to walk alongside them and helping them with this decision to raise their kids in a Christ-centered family. We get to do this. And it's an exciting thing that we celebrate. We take time to do that. We take time to celebrate what God has done in people's lives. When we think about the folks that have gone public with their faith through baptism, we get to be a part of that. And we get to celebrate what God has done. And guess what? We get to celebrate what God will continue to do in the lives of people who decide to make that decision, to accept that gift of grace. We get to celebrate with that. This grace that we've received is not meant for us to hoard. Our culture has a tendency to encourage us to amass more, to hang on to stuff. These blessings and the grace are not handbags, shoes, cars, paper, whatever it is. It's not for us to just amass. It's for us to be able to give away so that other people can experience the very same thing that you and I have experienced through Jesus Christ. And as we embody this grace as a church, we become a beacon of hope in our community, helping other people experience life to the fullest in Christ. And so when I think about, as a church, how we can live this out, we can take up the challenge of living out of the grace of God. And this wonderful, beautiful gift that we could never earn on our own merit. We get to go out into the community and to live it out each and every day. We get to go into our workplaces and live it out in real and practical ways. You know, I think of the conversations that you can have around the water cooler and your cubicles and being able to share what God has done in your life. You know, as a church, we can do this together in July, like when we literally get to go out, we're, we're not going out out of obligation. We're going out of the overflow of God's grace and mercy in our lives. When we do the things at VBS, it's out of the grace and mercy that has been afforded to us. And we get to help tell the children about Jesus. And so I want to encourage us to take up that mantle 
Embrace surrender this week. Create space to listen to the Holy Spirit in your life, and let's do this together. Amen? Amen. Okay. Hey, this morning I want to take a moment and close our, our time in prayer and just thinking about God's heart for you and for me. And it's not dependent on our doing, but on our really nothing. The fact that God loved you and I so much that he didn't want to see us separated from him for eternity. So he made a way, and we see it woven throughout the entire narrative of Scripture a way for you and I to be reconciled to him, for that chasm to be bridged. And it's through that belief in Christ, that gift of grace, that is the only way that we are saved. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to have more and more room in our lives by surrendering more and more, we're made more and more into his image. And there's more and more grace to be able to extend to others to love and to care for without reservation. And so, God, this morning, I pray for the folks in this room and the folks that can hear my voice that are wrestling with their worth, who feel like it's dependent on everything that they do for you in order to earn your grace, to keep your grace to prove their salvation. God, remind them in the days and the weeks ahead who they are and whose they are. Help them to understand that very truth. And God, for some of us that are here today that may have fallen back into some of these old systems of legalism, God, I pray that you remind us that the chains are already broken, that we have an immeasurable amount of freedom in your grace to be able to go out and do the good works that you have created in advance for us to do. And God, for those in this room today that are striving to save themselves, that are tired of running on that treadmill, that need your grace, that are willing to to profess you as Lord of their life, God, I pray for them. I pray that you would move and stir in their hearts, that you would embolden them to step out in faith to tell somebody that they've accepted this unmerited gift of your grace and help us to continue to embrace them to celebrate that decision and to walk alongside them on this incredible journey that they're on with you. Father, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.